This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 19. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello, kids. And we have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Well, it's going. All right. Nerdapalooza so 2021 continues. It's awesome. Now, which one? Nerdapalooza 2021, man. We've got Star Trek. We got Hawkeye. Oh, we got yeah. all kinds of good stuff for you this week. That's why people tune in. That's why. It's more than just podcast. More That's than right. just Star Trek. More than just Star Trek. All righty. Um, yeah, so let's start off with some fact check. First of all, I want to apologize to all of our French French speaking <laughs> listeners because um, yeah, I just totally butchered the that was that was not even my grade eleven level French. In fact, I didn't really do very well in grade eleven. I think it was the last year I studied French, but yeah. So I, I realized I was you know winging it. Yeah, like, we uh, you know we, we tried our best. It could have been like uh, flight we? of the Concorde. Wait, what, we? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, bugger, oh, oh, bugger, you know, Gerard Depardieu, you know. <laughs> Merveilleux. Yeah, uh, I think the phrase you're looking for, Tim, is je suis désolé. <laughs> J'ai au mal à la tête. Where? <laughs> Where la train station, yes. <laughs> oh, God, um, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. <laughs> we're making it worse. <laughs> Parlez-vous le français? Stop no. kicking that horse. It's already dead. Why are you kicking it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of dead horses. Um, yeah. So we were talking about um, the man trap was the first episode of Star Trek that was broadcast on September 8th, 1966. I couldn't remember the one. That's the one, the one where this uh, ex-colleague of uh, Jim Kirk gets jealous of him and has some sort of alien machine device thing that lets her switch bodies with him. So, you know, William Shatner does an amazing job at, at uh, acting like a 60s uh, era, you know, hysterical female. Um, yes, acting. Acting, yes, that's what you call that. And, uh, yeah, so, and the Menagerie was first broadcast on, on that was the, the original shot as a cage for the pilot, but it was re re mixed and whatever into a two-parter called the menagerie on november 17th november 24th 1966 that was i think it was near the oh god more fact check <laughs> near the end of the first season um second piece here uh cella horsdahl horsdahl cella horsdahl uh is best known by me anyway as helen smith in the man from high castle i don't know if you guys had recognized her from things in the past but yep. uh, if you if you watch the man from high castle, she's a very central figure in that story. So have you guys, either of you watched that yet? No, it's, it's been on the long to do list. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, I mean, one of the first things when I started watching or tuning into my Amazon private account, that was one of the first shows to sort of tune into. Yeah. First few seasons are really good. The third one's kind of, eh. yeah, she's got a pretty good resume of, uh, when you add it all up, she was in that she was in Stargate SG one. She was an arrow. She was an Aliens versus Predator Requiem. She was in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. She's pretty decent sci-fi bona fides, and now she's got Star Trek. That's that's pretty impressive. Yep. And yes. she's Canadian. Did I mention she's Canadian? You did Canada's own. You mentioned Canada's own. Born in Vancouver. Close closer to Jaime than us, but still. 
I guess, yeah. We were also talking about uh, Wheel of Time last week, uh, a series of books. It spans 14 volumes and one prequel, so that's 15, isn't it? My my math. Um, And it began with The Eye of the World was the first one published. It was written in the 80s, but wasn't published until 1990. So, yeah, I got that from Wikipedia. You can look it up yourself, and I'll have a link in the show notes. (laughs) Wikipedia, notoriously reliable source for information. By the way, um, I support Wikipedia, just so you know. Like, I pay them money every year when they when they come looking, and they're looking for money right now. So if you're if you're a fan of Wikipedia, and by the way, you know, you can also edit Wikipedia. I have edited pages on Wikipedia myself, so it's basically a crowdsourced, you know, Encyclopedia Galactica, if you want to call it that. Yep. Anyway, I'm going to throw over to Jonathan for the headlines. Headlines. So, last week... The three of us might have gone off a smidge on the fact that uh, Discovery was pulled from international markets after the decision was made just before the eve of Star Trek Discovery's fourth season to take it away everywhere except for Canada and America and delay its release until 2022 because they want to roll out Paramount Plus internationally. As we were good indications of there was a lot of upset people about this. And so we got news this week that the good folks at Paramount have decided to change their path on this. Sort of. So they issued a statement to all international Star Trek Discovery fans. We hear you. We're listening. We're listening. We're, we're going to do this for you. We're going to find a way to get this out. So they are making it available on Paramount Plus uh, in the markets where it's available which includes Australia, Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Chile. I feel like I'm doing a a bit from Pinky and the Brain. Colombia, Costa Rica, Denmark, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, El Salvador, Finland, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, Nicaragua, Norway, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Sweden, Uruguay, and Venezuela. You can now watch it if you have a subscription to Paramount+. And in the countries that it has been removed from Netflix, but is not available yet on Paramount Plus because it hasn't been launched there, like Austria, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Switzerland, so some small countries, United Kingdom, it is now available on Pluto TV. Raise your hand, gentlemen, if you did hear of Pluto TV before this article dropped. Never heard of it before. I I have, uh, which is why I was able to respond as quickly as I did uh, to Tim's uh, chat about that. Wow. Not like I've actively watched it other than like oh let's just throw something in the background it wasn't a a a top tier streaming service and it never gets mentioned in the the streaming wars until now i suppose well they've just entered the fray with uh, guns a blazing because apparently that is where you got to go if you want to watch disco and you live in uh several of those major european countries it's good news for those people. Obviously, it was, uh, you know, we talked about the ridiculousness of trying to pull it away from those platforms in a digital world where things leak upon the internet and there are ways that they can be watched sort of um, uh, in the gray market or the black, if you will. And uh, yeah, so this is good news that they've done this. Um, does this make up for this move? What do you guys think? Hmm. Well, I mean, it was, it did seem like a bit of a bonehead move in the first place, you know, because it just sort of, they just did it without it providing any sort of information about a plan to move it somewhere else, you know, like, I mean, if you were in those markets and you turned in and you would be going, you know, what's going on here, you know, that wouldn't be the words you would use, but, um, you know, like, why can't I watch the show that's supposed to have been out and blah, 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 and I was able to watch it last year and where is it now kind of thing, you know? Um, so 
great that they solved their problem, but do you really think they, or maybe they just didn't have the the ink signed or something? But you know, it just it did seem a bit hollow that there was no announcement other than you can't get it on here anymore. You know, yeah, last week. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting in a way. So for the price of a week and a day late for people who are in, in these countries who suddenly lost their ability, they get an interesting trade in that they get it effectively for free. I do believe Pluto TV does have ads from what I recall. So it's kind of like, and I don't know that they have this on demand. I think you kind of have to watch it when it's on. So it brings this Star Trek series all the way back full circle into (laughs) it's on the air on the internet, but it's on the air again. And you better go, you know, remember that bat time and bat channel to get to it. Mm, Right. But it is free. I mean, I'm paying uh, $5.99 a month for the pleasure of, of watching Discovery um, and taking it a, a week later plus one day for free with ads. Um, I pay for ads because I'm cheap and I only have the lowest tier of <laughs> Paramount Plus. So <laughs> I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like that bad a deal to me for those people in those uh, those countries. But can you actually even get it in the United States? You can't, right? Pluto TV? So I get Pluto TV. I seriously doubt they will show Discovery here because it would just mm, kill yeah. a whole bunch of the the subs that they want for Paramount Plus. Yeah, right. That's true. Hmm. Well, I still think obviously they they clearly stepped in it and did not, I guess, anticipate how loud the backlash would be and have done their best to rectify it. So I think that's a positive. Uh, as we said, like. There all are there are alternatives to being able to watch it with a you know legal paid for means that I think a bunch of people might take advantage of, which is unfortunate. But when you release this kind of content that is so globally enjoyed, that's the risk, right? Right. Yeah. So now, hopefully, people will will watch it that way and and be able to enjoy it. And I guess they're going to have to pony up for Paramount Plus if they want to watch it for season five. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, last week, or I guess last week, the, the uh, Ghostbusters were making the, I mean, the original Ghostbusters. I mean, uh, the surviving Ghostbusters, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and Bill Murray were making the rounds on the various talk shows. And I happened to catch this one of them on The Tonight Show with Jimmy and Jimmy Fallon. I almost said Jimmy Kimmel. They were also on Jimmy Kimmel's show as well. Um, so there's two two videos out there on YouTube. But this one was interesting in that uh, Dan Aykroyd talked about the source material for the Ghostbusters story, which was his great-grandfather's research into paranormal activities. So all this stuff like ectoplasm and all that kind of stuff came out of that, his grandfather's research. So um, And so we have... Um, Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather to blame for all the reality TV shows where they, you know, examine the paranormal and all that kind of stuff. So, but, and and of course, hilarious, uh, hilarious, um, interviews, you know, between the three original Ghostbusters, especially, uh, Bill Murray on Dan Aykroyd. But yeah, so if you, if you're in for a laugh, check that out. It's pretty good going. Yeah. For for me, I had my ears go up when he said Kingston, Ontario. I was like, oh, I know where Ontario is. Where is Kingston? And for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Canadian geography, as I am not, I used Google mm-hmm. to figure out that Kingston, Ontario, is about halfway between Toronto and Montreal. That's true. 
It is. Yep. And that's where the home of the Tragically Hip and Dan Aykroyd and Doug Gilmore, I believe, right? Uh, I don't think he's from there, but he did play there. Played there. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, because it isn't what uh, John Terry, Don Cherry, saw was called Kingston's boy or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I've lost track. I've lost track of my Doug Gilmore histories. That's true. Yeah. All right. Um, over to you, John, for some more Ghostbustery kind of stuff. Yeah. So for speaking of Ghostbusters, we talked about, you know, w- would this be a go to the movie theater movie for us? Uh, I know I haven't seen it yet. I don't think either of you guys have, have made it out yet. Tommy, did, did you see Ghostbusters yet? I have not. Well, in spite of that blow to the economy, uh, it still managed <laughs> to rake in a three-day total of 44 million U.S. over its wow. first weekend, which is pretty good given the global circumstances and everything else. So, yeah, overall considered a pretty successful pandemic box office, top of the box office in, in North America. So it is a success, and it'll be interesting to see if... Uh, you know, this is a they start of a new franchise, a a a brick upon which you can build more things, or if this is a you know a nostalgia one off. Looking forward to. It. I do want to go see it in the theater though. So yeah, I think uh, going to find a time. All right. It's really it's strange. I mean, it's good to hear that um, it's doing well because the Rotten Tomatoes makes no sense. It is a hard split of sixty three percent for the critics and 95% for the audience. Wow. Yeah, definitely a fan favorite for sure. Well, I I read uh, an online piece the other day where they were saying there's like 300, Jason Reitman put in 300 Easter eggs. Wow. (laughs) Was just heavily committed to, you know, making this the utmost experience for, for longtime Ghostbusters fans, which is really cool. Cool. And also, just in time for this uh, holiday here, the uh, Lego folks have reissued a new version of the Ghostbusters car. I don't know what you call it. The What's the name of the car? Sure oh, the name. Ecto-1. Ecto-1, thank you. Yeah, it says right there on the front of me. I just can't read. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they've come up with this new, based on uh, the Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, Ecto-1 um, kit, which, you know, including the little the gunner seat and all that kind of stuff, and the little um, thing that pops out at the back to capture the ghosts. Uh, and I think it's actually reviewed, or is a video with the three young stars or four young stars. Yeah, I saw the, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It looks pretty cool. So and that's and I'm not sure when it's coming out, because it does, on the Lego site, when I looked at it the other day, it said not available, but... Mm. I think it's coming out soon. Neato. Mm. Uh, next up, we've got some news. So we talked in an episode a couple of weeks ago about how there is a new Blade Runner animated series or anime yep. series that is now on uh, Adult Swim in conjunction with Crunchyroll. And stay tuned if you want to hear more about that, because I, I did watch the first episode of that. But we got some interesting news this week that Ridley Scott, the the creator of this as it were, the first director of the original film, is working on a live-action TV series. Uh, we, we already had got word that he was going to be working on an Alien uh, hmm. series, and they they announced that last year, that he was going to be working on that. But a Blade Runner TV series, uh, apparently, according to this article on Variety.com, is, uh, yeah, they're looking at a 10-episode series. We already have the pilot written and the Bible, and we're uh, presenting it as a 10-hour TV show. So, yeah, I mean, yes, please. Please, no Harrison Ford. Please, no Harrison Ford. Please, no Harrison Ford. Please, no Harrison Ford. (laughs) 
Yeah, I did, I did watch uh, part of the first uh, episode, but I didn't get all the way through it. But yeah, yeah, looks pretty cool. It does. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll talk about that in the. And it uh, does pay homage to the to the original. Oh, very much it. so. Yeah, we'll talk about yeah. that in the watch list. I'll, I'll yeah. give you a little cool. little taste of that one. All right. The next thing that I've got up here is that Scarlett Johansson, in spite of this unpleasantness that happened around her uh, suing Disney over Black Widow, is apparently still in business with Disney. So mm-hmm. there was a an event in Hollywood uh, last week where the American Cinematique Award was presented to Scarlett Johansson, and it was presented uh as part of that was uh kevin feige of course the executive producer of all of the mcu movies and tv programs and he was talking her up and talking about how great she is and he said we're already working with scarlet on another non-black widow related top secret marvel studio project with her as the producer so for all those people that were thinking well she's burnt some bridges and we will never see her working with Disney or with the MCU again, I guess that's not right. Uh, I think they took a pragmatic approach of this, which is to say business is business. She, you know, felt like she needed to do what she needed to do and they're mending fences and she's back to work. Cool. Would you, would you put yourself in that same situation? If somebody was like, I am suing you because you breached what I think was an agreement or spirit of a contract, would you be like, yeah, come on back in. Let's do some more work together. Well, I think I, th- I think it depends on on the art and the artist, right? I mean, like in this case, you know, they're invested in her as a person, and and I think it would be odd if they tried to you know move her out. But uh, clearly, the 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 discussion she's having or the the issue she's having is is between the lawyers and the the contract writers, not necessarily the producers or the film creators, right? So yeah, that's a different wing. Yeah, and I think that's you know, I mean, it, she's been a a cornerstone to what Feige's done over the last 12 mm. years. So yeah, sure. Yeah. He's even, even has an impact in the, uh, in Hawkeye, which we'll talk about in a bit too. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Next up, we, uh, we've been talking about Dune a lot the last few episodes, given that there's this new Denis Villeneuve, uh, extravaganza in movie theaters and on HBO max, or at least it was until this week when it left. The, original vision of dune which was never actually made was planned to be done by um alejandro yurowski who was going to do the uh this really wild vision in the 1970s uh there's actually a documentary that's been made about uh the the efforts of uh, yurowski to make this uh this film and so this week we got news that the storyboards that were done for the film, the original storyboards that were done for that 1970s film, sold for three million U.S. dollars at auction, and that's a hundred times what they were expected to, to receive. Wow! The final valuation at Christie's auction house was between twenty-five and thirty-five million pounds. And it ended up selling for 2.66 million pounds, 3 million US dollars. The drawings are collected in one large notebook and were made by Mobius, Jean Giraud, uh, and also illustrated by Geiger, uh, H.R. Geiger, the famous illustrator who created the Alien for Aliens. So, I mean, this is like original hand-drawn work by two of the all-time masters of the craft. So 
obviously there's a lot of value there. Um, but given the infamy of this movie, not and it, the whole production not being made, uh, yeah, very, very cool. Very cool, rare thing to have come to auction. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, I, obviously I'm a Mobius fan and also a Geiger fan because of my uh, early, you know, dealings with Emerson, Lake and Palmer and some of their albums, which mm-hmm. were brain cell mm-hmm. surgery was illustrated by him as well. I wonder where my album is. I was thinking about that today. I, I may frame, have it here, actually. Frame that up and put it up on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think I, I, I think I have your copy, but I found in a in a bundle that I bought a while back, I got a pristine copy of it, and it like it looks it looks fantastic. It's again, I'm I'm not a, a huge ELP fan, but that oh, is okay. a beautiful album. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I, I I had the original cover with the the proper gatefold and all kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I think it spent the time in somebody's garage for a while. So yeah, a little little damp. Anywho, um. And you're right. Uh, no, Jaime's up next. Yeah, we've got the uh, official trailer for DC's League of Super Pets animated film, which I don't know that I can describe any better than what is written here in the YouTube video uh, description, which is Crypto the Superdog and Superman are inseparable best friends, sharing the same superpowers and fighting crime in Metropolis side by side. When Superman and the rest of the Justice League are kidnapped, Crypto must convince a ragtag shelter pack. Ace the Hound, PB the Potbelly Pig, Merton the Turtle, and Chip the Squirrel to master their own newfound powers and help him rescue the superheroes. Starring Dwayne Johnson as Crypto, we've got uh, Kevin Hart as uh, Ace, and then a whole slew of people that you'll recognize. Uh, Kate McKinnon, John Krasinski, Vanessa Bayer, Mm. Natasha Leone, Diego Luna, and Keanu Reeves. Coming out exclusively in theaters May 2022. Yeah, and the trailer's pretty funny, too, like with yeah. Kevin Hart. It's a Kevin Hart, um, Dwayne Johnson vehicle as well, too. They, they they have a good banter. They've done a few movies together, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The Jumanji ones are very funny. Jumanji? Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. they've done the last two Jumanji uh, video yeah. game ones. Cool. All right, and the last uh, story you have here is uh, I was following... I follow uh, Jonathan Frick's Twitter, Twitter account, and he um, commented on this... Uh, video of Sunika Martin-Green on The View talking about, uh, they were talking to her about, Whoopi says, hey, you were the first female, black female captain of a Star Trek uh, ship. And, you know, kudos to her. And, and um, in, in the video, uh, Sunika Mar- Martin-Green um, credits Nichelle Nichols and Whoopi Goldberg for setting the, creating the, the path for her to follow on. So they, they in fact led the way for her to get to where she is today. So that kudos to her. But uh, as a sort of sidebar fact check thing, um, I also noticed in some of the comments that were following the, the tweets was that Madge Sinclair, in fact, was the uncredited captain of the Saratoga in Star Trek for the voyage home. And in fact, she's not just uh, um, the first um, black female um, captain in a movie. She's she was also played Sylvia LaForge, uh, captain of the USS Hera in the Next Generation season seven, episode three. And she plays there. She plays Jordy LaForge's mother. Uh, she also incidentally played Eddie Murphy's mother in Coming to America, and she's uh, she was Belle in Roots, who was. Um, opposite uh, John Amos, who played, who famously played Kuta Kinte. 
LeVar Burton famously played uh, Kunta Kinte as a young man. John Amos played him as an older man, and uh, and Bell was was a central character in like the first, I think, probably third or fourth episode of Roots. And uh, she also played the voice of Simba's mom in The Lion King. So she's been around. I mean, um, you know, I, unfortunately, I didn't know who she was until I looked her up. I mean, I knew who she was from her face, but I didn't know her name and that kind of stuff. But she, in fact, uh, holds the, the should hold the record for being the first female captain, fem- first female black captain of a starship enterprise or starship vehicle ship. What do you call those things? Vessels. Vessel, vessel, wassel, 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 wassel. Yeah. So and, and, and kudos to her and to Nico Martin Green. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Which brings us to the main part of our show, which is why we're here to talk about. And I don't remember the name of the episode. So I mean, I think you're doing the recap. You're going to have to fill us in. So, but yeah, this is it. This is where we talk about a Star Trek vehicle. And this time we're talking about Discovery season four, episode two. Take it away. Anomaly is uh, kind of an interesting episode. So we continue with Book having the severe trauma, uh, definitely PTSD kind of thing going on from watching his family and his home planet of Quajon just obliterated. Um, we end up with a little bit less of the, the sort of tension that we had with the Federation president in the first episode. And instead, sort of put things over into, I think, some more, uh, it's almost like like set pieces in, in sports of like, they're kind of setting up what's coming in the future. Because at the end of this episode, if you follow sort of the, the A to B, you say, wait a minute, they kind of didn't really learn much of anything other than, wow, they're just really hosed, <laughs> right? Like this, this anomaly is way worse than they thought. And uh, they either can't predict where it's going or maybe discovery accidentally changed what it's doing right the whole point of this today's episode was a mission uh, a very dangerous mission to go figure out can we get data on this anomaly to predict where it's going what it's doing so they can evacuate planets and whatnot right who are who going to be impacted and the the sort of main thrust of the story is um book deciding that he's going to use his ship because it can get closer actually inside the anomaly than the discovery itself can um and his ship having the 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 transformer kind of abilities can can go deeper in and they want stamets to be there as well but since they they actually say wait a minute it's probably a dumb idea to have like the two guys in the entire universe uh, who can use the spore drive on the same dangerous mission is probably a bad idea. So they have Stamets there as a, uh, a hollow uh, hologram uh, with a neural transmitter kind of thing that he wears, you know, back on the discovery. And so the, the real tension for Stamets' character working with, with book isn't really so much about uh, physical danger. Cause he's really not, um, I, I guess other than the, you know, anti-gravity going off and him floating into space <laughs> like everybody else does in a kind of a really cool effect that they do. Um, but rather more about um, some, some ego that was sort of hit in some ways around like, uh, you know, there's somebody else who can use a spore drive, not just this dude. And the, you know, you see, you know, what your loss was about and how helpless you were around things. Um, so there's kind of like a tangling in of, of, of Stamets's previous loss of uh, Dr. Culber, uh, some 
previous like <laughs> he got thrown into space you know pushed out an airlock as he jokes about um with with uh, michael uh, and so that, i thought that was kind of interesting to see these two characters who are like Hey, I don't think we really have said words to each other this entire time. <laughs> I barely even know you. Why are you coming on this mission with me? Sort of thing that I thought was was kind of fun. The other uh, sort of major thing we had going on was uh, Saru wearing the uh, the very stylish red command outfit uh, coming back, and and apparently a little taller, if not uh, you know in actuality, but more in the way he carries himself. He's he's uh, an elder as he has his little badge uh on on his uh on his sash and he's not uh he's not what we saw in season one right he's not the the cowardly prey kind of um uh, kelpian creature and he's not sort of lost about where he's at and things he's quite happy being the uh we're gonna call this what the star trek six rule of like how many captains can you have on this bridge yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah. Thing. he's like he's technically i think still captain saru in he terms still of had rank. his pips on yeah he still had four yeah. pips yeah. still captain in rank but he is the first officer for michael yep. who is yep. the captain of the discovery yeah 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 so, it was very very echoes of uh star trek five and six where spock is he's the first officer but he's still captain spock because it's it's Kirk that gets demoted down from admiral to captain, but they're both captains. But Spock's the first officer, right? Right. Um, we've also got the other sort of storyline going on, a pairing off of characters with um, uh, with Tilly and Adira. Uh, with with Tilly even realizing, like, I'm kind of stamitzing this person. Of like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting kind of grumpy in my just do just double check your work. We always double and triple check our work, right? Like just being curt. Uh, granted, in a in a dangerous situation, right? They were trying to figure out, you know, can we predict when these waves are coming so we don't have the gravity fall apart on us? Um, and and Adira having a bit of the uncertain it feels on on two different levels for them where they are you know, still trying to prove themselves of like, I can be part of this new Starfleet thing. It could be part of this, you know, this grand crew that saved the universe, uh, such as it was last uh, season. And also dealing with the weirdness with their partner, Gray, who apparently can get uh, picarded into a yeah. golem using 800 year old technology, mm -hmm. which the writer said, okay, let's just stop the people on the internet right now and say, oh yeah, it like, didn't always work and not enough for people to bother. So they kind of just stopped doing the, can we make ourselves effectively immortal? Thing. That's a great, that's a great point. I because I, I, as soon as they were like, we've made this, it's based. I was like, that's based on Picard. Okay. So where are they going with this? I was, I was ready. I was just, just like the rest of the internet, I was ready. And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but wait, they had 900 years to perfect this. Well, 600 years anyways. What, what 600 years in the future are we now? Yeah, because yeah, so that from when Picard happens to when this happens, Picard happens in the early 25th century, right? So, and this is the 31st, 31st century? I think it's so, 32nd. Is it 32nd? Yeah, so six, 700 years. It's, it's still a, a definite huge leap in time. But yeah, I like that they were just like, no, no, we're stopping this right now. We tried it. It only worked occasionally. We stopped trying to try it. They knew. They knew that everybody had already had their fists up in the air, ready to start shaking them violently. And then <laughs> they threw a little Easter egg of like, oh, yeah, I guess this guy soon created it and he used it on some Starfleet admiral. Like they just casually mentioned, you know, Picard without saying Picard, right? Which was... Well, they did, he did say Picard, didn't he? did he? say Picard, did they, yeah. Did they say yeah, that right. name Picard? Okay. He did, yeah. yeah. I think his name was 
Picard. Yeah, and right, Picard. A, right after that, he talked about how they abolished seatbelts and yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one is you know I know it's for um, you know TV drama and stuff, but considering that we see that the programmable programmable matter is able to create this really and they cool... have magnetic boots. Don't get me started with that too, right? I mean, okay, sure, right? They could just have <laughs> magnet boots, uh, like this is face-off, and uh, they're just walking around constantly. That's a good one. I hadn't considered that. But my take was like, well, you in the same episode, you have this physical tether using the programmable matter that you know, they're, they're going like, to oh, right. pull books ship out if they can, if you know things go wrong. I'm like, can you... Okay, maybe you don't want to wear seatbelts all the time. Like, I get it. They can be uncomfortable, but... Shouldn't you really have like an emergency seatbelt system using the programmable matter in case gravity goes out? <laughs> or, you know, in the previous 800 centuries of space flying, flying technology, <laughs> you know, I don't know about you guys, but I noticed that when they sent up the uh, giant Jeff Bezos penis rocket, they were wearing seatbelts. Yeah, that's true. Like at what that's point true. in human evolution are we like, you know what? Seatbelts, don't eat them. I, I guess it was like an arrogance and hubris thing of like, I'm not going to go into space with a seatbelt, like some sort of filthy animal. I'm going to walk around <laughs> like as if I'm in, you know, my bedroom and getting me on my couch. Wait, is that Deanna Troy sitting down in the command seat? Damn it. I wish we had seatbelts. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen seatbelts in Star Trek before. I, I swear in a previous episode that at some point they like lock themselves in somehow. I, I remember that being in a part of a montage at some point. Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess the... So the main character thing, we've got this episode that leaves a sort of little hint for one of the things that they laid the groundwork for, um, if not this season, at least for, you know, the next several episodes is Book's PTSD getting severe enough that he appears to to see, physically see his, uh, what, what was that kid? His nephew, right? His, his nephew, nephew, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he like gets distracted at critical times. Uh, thinking that he's seen them he starts at one point when they're kind of hosed on the idea of like i don't know if we can get out of this uh this anomaly we're gonna have to try you know the using the last bits of gas we have to uh, surf the wave uh, on the way out i think he sees the dead birds right uh yeah, like does, as if yeah. they were there again you know it's mm -hmm. like he's reliving that trauma anything else that about that artificial or... wave thingy with the the sailboat thing the the, the where programmable Bryce matter about, version yeah. or the the idea of like surfing the wave which well part? surfing the wave the part where L lieutenant bryce says and i quote i used to bullseye swamp womp rats on my t16 back home <laughs> they're not much bigger than two meters <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure oh, that's maybe he didn't said. say exactly like that but it was very similar <laughs> that's his hobby oh, that's true sorry honey I was getting shades of like, is he from Hawaii kind of things like yeah. <laughs> that lower decks yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, true. Right, right. <laughs> or, or, but is he really from Hawaii? That's the question. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Bryce, shady. Did I miss anything else uh, major in this episode? Like, it's a very simple plot of we need to get from point A to point B. We need to scan the data. Oh, no, the data just told us we're hosed and it it's useful in that way. But not useful otherwise well the real dun, dun, dun is the end right like that's yeah, that's the, the dun, yeah. dun, dun, the whole thing is yeah it, you're right it, it was a pretty pretty standard star trek story it's a story that's been told before it was told well mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of been told before 
you know, people trying to come to grips with tragedy. Okay, that's been done. The yeah. we have to get inside this anomaly and figure out, even though it's going to be dangerous. Okay, we've seen that before. But the dun 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 at the end is when they analyze, start analyzing the data, and they realize that you know they take a look at its patterns and realize that the anomaly, which they thought was based on a collision of two black holes, is actually uh, being guided somehow. And oh, that it, really? That it is deliberately targeting their ships. Hmm. So the big dun 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 is are it like. Is this thing sentient? Is it being guided by some malicious force? Is it, is there a, a you know puppet master behind the curtain making this thing mm-hmm. go? And yeah, and then you do the big pan out where we sort of see this sort of menacing looking specter in the in the space, Eyeball right? Shape thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So begin your speculation here. Yeah, maybe maybe Spock was really blasted, you know, into the future and as bitter and you know coming bittered, and he's now. <laughs> Like, that's never happened before, right? Um, no, no. Speaking of Lost in Space, but yeah, no. Yeah, it, it it's it's good. Like, that was a good episode, but it was, um, yeah, it, it was a little bit uh, insert block exposition here, right? Yep. Yeah, so they both almost break the fourth wall by looking at the, the they turn their heads towards the, the view screen, which are, which is we're looking at them, right? Yeah. From, mm-hmm. from that perspective, and they kind of like stare at us going, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, and, you know, the stuff with Grey is, is interesting. Obviously, the whole, you know, the body making making a body. They keep talking about, you know, oh, when you, tr- you know, take over this new body. They haven't said how. Uh, right. So that felt like a bit of a, like, I'm sure we're going to get that in the next few episodes. But they were talking about it very matter-of-factly, like, oh, well, we're just going to put your soul into this consciousness, even though Adira is the only person who can see gray's non-corporeal corporeal self yeah so how do we know that's not she's that gray is not actually just in their body their their brain you know well because we did see that when they were on the dilithium planet last season right that mm. that oh, because culber manifested color culber could see gray there right so we we know that gray for lack of a better term exists but it just I just thought it was kind of strange. Like they made, I think, two references to, you know, when you, you know, transcend or whatever into this this body or recorporealize or something like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. you say it so matter of factly, like this is something you do on a Tuesday, you know? Yeah. Um, I did like the uh the the intentional, unintentional joke of, you know, oh, throw me out an airlock. Uh Stamets makes a crack at one point about, you know, oh, throw me out an airlock, which is exactly what what um Burnham did to him last season. That was pretty funny. <laughs> and you're right, the the effect where the gravity kept going on and off was was really well done. Like that must have taken some pretty cool, you know, wire work and stuff to to make, you know, all the cast do that. Well, and... it, it looked a little bit like it looked to me it looked like a little bit of a mix of 3D rendering and and like it looked like Michael when she was doing her line was actually, you know, sitting down Separate, with her feet yeah. in the air but yeah. but the the other characters like owo and and um uh, detmer they look like they were for a second there they look like little cg animations of the of the of the actors right yeah and they did do a real pan out so you're not really seeing them up you just sort of see the what appears to be them so it could have all been done cg but it was well done it was a it was a cool effect again i was trying to think the of... first time wouldn't you say hey can we break out the uh starfleet belts please <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think uh, it, it would have been 
probably the last time we saw a, a starship lose its gravity like that would have been Star Trek Six, right? Where the, the gravity goes mm-hmm. out and then that's when when um, Chancellor Burkhan gets killed, right? Like we yes. don't really see it a lot, which is strange considering these are spacefaring vessels. But true, yeah. Well, and the whole sort of thing, like you know, the how they how they replicate gravity in in current like sort of relatively newish or within our timeline sort of things. You know, by having a ship rotate and that kind of stuff. You know, using centrifugal force. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, can't remember which one. Which one Mark said was not real, but um, between uh, centripetal and centrifugal. Uh, centripetal, I think, is the real one, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that, that's where, like, you know, the the ride that you go on at the uh, at the amusement parks where you pushed up against the wall, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. By getting spun around. Um, that I mean, so like it. It's always sort of been. I mean, you know, you have to sort of. You know, in in the '60s, when in '66 when Star Trek first came out, they kind of walk. They they never really sort of covered the sort of art, gravity thing because people didn't know about space travel back then, right? It wasn't until you know they started broadcasting the Apollo ships that they could actually see that they were actually weightless and stuff, stuff like that, right? So yeah, yeah. So it's always been a sort of you know for me, it's like every. I mean, even in, even in the Foundation, they had to put on the electric, you know, just the the magnetic boots and walk on the outside of a ship and mm-hmm. yeah th- which one was it the uh, i think first contact where they walk and they they have to separate yep. the yeah the big dish on the front yep yeah and uh they have the fight with the wrong with the uh, borgs who also have magnetic boots right but you're really just like part of their uniforms yeah their standard issue borg uh, borg footwear they get them when they're baby borgs they just put the magnet boots yeah. on them true true after they finish borg crawling that is <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the Hawkeye, which we I think we all watched. They watched the first two episodes yesterday, and I guess you guys must have as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. very good. I mean, I, I thought it was really enjoyable. Like, I, I like it's enough that um, you know the first episode has enough going on. It's not too long. It's like forty-five minutes long, right? So mm-hmm. it seemed short compared to mind you. I just finished watching the Beatles for like an hour and a half, but um, so it seemed kind of short, and then it ended with a uh, you know what now at the very end you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and that so immediately picks up and and it's it's a good thing that they did have published the first two episodes because then you were able to just roll into the next episode and then the the second episode also ends with a what now at the end too right so hopefully they're they're going to be able to keep up that pace but yeah a really compelling story i found and and interesting i'm interested in the characters i'm interested in the story and mm-hmm. you know they don't drive the christmas theme too far down down your throats right no, and it's it's an it's a good plot device given that the way that they've timed it out, they dropped the first two episodes on the twenty fourth of November. Right. Sub- subsequent episodes will be December first, December eighth, December fifteenth, and the final episode will air on December twenty second. So it times right out with hmm. you know, and, and Clint's whole sort of reason for trying to get through this is I want to get home for Christmas, right? Right. So as it builds towards you know our real time Christmas, I think this will be one of those. F- fun first watches just because they have timed it out so beautifully and and themed it around the holidays and you know winter time in new york and yeah it's it's it, it works really well i think yeah it was um it was interesting i thought the first couple of episodes they definitely did a good job of of establishing kate bishop as a as a very endearing character you you sort of you are already sort of Is quickly she jessica jones's niece um, Wasn't that Jessica Jones's apartment she goes to? That's what 
that's what Xavier said. It looks a, really. It looks a lot like well, Jessica she, Jones. When she was looking, when she was looking at the names, it said Gunter Jones on when she was looking for the to push the buzzer. Yeah, yeah. It said it said Jones. I I, I noticed that, and then and then when she got inside, it looked like Jessica Jones hallway, and it looked like. Yeah. Are, are we in the right universe? Yeah. So maybe. But yeah, I, th- I mean, I, well, because that is set in the MCU, right? They just haven't brought it yeah. into canon yet. So, right. yeah, I think I think that might have been a, a sort of teaser. There was a few, actually. Well, there's a few. There was a ton of Marvel Comics Easter eggs for the first couple episodes. It yeah. is drawing a lot of inspiration from the Matt Fraction, David Aha uh, comic book series from 2012, which is, uh, you know, the dog, Kate, Clint the tracksuit mafia like there's a lot of stuff that's come straight out of those pages uh and it's a fantastic read i highly recommend if anybody's looking to sort of get into the hawkeye uh mm-hmm. character world from this it's it's a great it's a great great read but um yeah i mean <laughs> for longtime marvel fans a lot of this stuff is being telegraphed pretty fast and pretty hard like mm-hmm. they've introduced characters who, uh, again, I won't get into too much spoiler territory, but like characters who are established Marvel characters with backstories that are unmistakable. So as soon as they introduce a character, you're like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. Like, it's just, it's, and it's not like, it's not deep cut stuff. It's pretty superficial stuff. So, yeah, again, don't want to spoil too much. I know you guys obviously uh, are are a little more, more, less so on the comic-y side, a little more on the on the movies, TV show side. So, um, you know, in four weeks, we'll have a more fulsome conversation about all this stuff. But I, did, I really enjoyed the way they sort of play on the, you know, aren't you Hawkeye kind of thing all the way through, like when he mm. runs into people, like, can I get a selfie with you? And like, he's at the urinal, he's like, not a good time, you know? But <laughs> well, I just, he... I like the way they sort of play with his infamy and his fame without, you know, and he's kind of like a reluctant superhero, right? Well, and it's funny too, because he... Of the many characters, obviously their identities were were public in a in a way that they they aren't or haven't always been in comic books. In comic books, it was the masked person. Who's that masked person? You know, most characters wore masks in some variety or the other. You know, Jeremy Renner in all these movies never wore a mask, right? He's, he's not right. the the right. stereotypical comic book Hawkeye who has you know the the blue sort of cowl over his face that sort of hides his identity so yeah of course you know he goes to the chinese food restaurant and they're like you help save the city have a free meal he goes to you know different things and people are like oh i love you here have you know do this and whatever uh you know even when he goes to the the live action role play thing in in central park he ends up uh you know we all know who you are you know like it's no secret right yeah exactly yeah yeah but they don't know that they they don't know, or do we know that he's Ronan? We're, I guess we're not supposed nobody, to know this. Nobody, nobody but his, I think, his wife in the Avengers, and even in the Avengers, I don't know if it's all the Avengers or it was just uh, just uh, Black Widow, Black Widow that knew that he was Ronan. So, mm-hmm. and they did show the scene where he's he's dispatching people when they were talking about the sword, right? Yeah, they cut that mm-hmm. scene straight out of uh, out of Endgame, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was good. It was a good. It was a good balance of of humor with action it's a and, bit like kick-ass too in and, a, sense, and a right? good mystery in there mm-hmm. too there's a little sort of you know mystery element to it I, yeah i mean i was really looking forward to that like i said before hawkeye's one of my favorite characters not as much the movie adaptation of of the character but uh but i think this has been solid so far I, i'm i'm really i'm in already yeah definitely i may yeah i thought it was pretty pretty good too the 
the way they played him as being kind of done with yeah. the the whole superhero business, but like not in the tropey uh, grump sort of way. Like he didn't hit those like you know um, those those normal points. It was more like, dude, I just I just want to go visit my family for Christmas. Like I don't yeah. want to be dealing with any of this. Uh, you know, even when he is ready to beat the heck out of the Ronin person, he's like you're just a kid. Like you're just a damn kid. Like I was here ready to, to beat the heck out of you, tear this thing off you and, and go home. And now I got to deal with, with making you safe after they firebomb your, uh, your, um, your apartment and stuff. The, uh, the tracksuit mafia, <laughs> the, the, the Russian tracksuit mafia. I just took a look on line and there is a Reddit thread where they say a lot of people are saying Jessica Jones's apartment exists in the MCU. This is clearly the same building. Mm-hmm. It, they same observation as you, Jaime, the Jones Gunther thing. So yeah, I mean, could be. Yeah, be. I think so. By the way, it's the the actress Vera Vera Farmiga, Farmiga who who yeah. plays the mother. I, I always get her confused with with the Olsons, right? But is um. Where, where, like, what have we seen her in before? That, that... is she not from The Conjuring? Because that's who I thought she was. She is. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Most famous. Her her most famous roles are probably she's the recurring character in the Conjuring movies. She's also she was in Up in the Air, which is a, a really good uh, George Clooney movie. Yes, I did say that. Oh, right, that one. Yes, yeah. yeah. She was in The Departed. Um, really good. The Scorsese movie, which uh, which is great. And I think wasn't she in um. She did another comic book. She did uh, a history of violence, didn't she? Isn't that Vera Farmiga? Maybe. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through her IMDb right now. Oh, she was in Manchurian Candidate as well. But that's the uh, who's the the director for um, history of violence? Oh, Canada's own. Yeah, I want to say Cronenberg, but didn't Cronenberg did um, the other one? Didn't he? Um, my brain, my precious brain. I'm I'm on her page right now. I'm just scrolling through her her movies. I don't see that one though. Yeah, I get her mixed up sometimes with oh, it's Maria Bello. That's what I'm thinking of. Maria Bello was the the star in that one, so it's not. And who was the director in that one? Uh, that is Cronenberg. History oh, that is Cronenberg. Okay, yeah. you were right. You yeah, were right. that's adapted from a comic as well. But um, yeah, no, I I got uh, Maria Bello mixed up with her for that role. Cool. But I love that yeah. movie. So good. And of course, you all know famously that I stood in front of David Cronenberg at a par- parking meter once, right? You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I met him at the star once. He was, uh, he was very nice. <laughs> yeah. He was guy. in there with, uh, what's his name? The, um, oh God, the guy from Due South. What was his name? Paul. Paul something. Yeah, him. Gross. Paul Gross. Paul Gross. <laughs> Paul Gross. Yes. Paul Gross. yes. Cool. Alrighty. So let's move on to our watch list. Yeah. Shall we? All right. What do you got, honey? I've got the still ongoing Wheel of Time first season of uh, episodes on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So this is their live action one. I'm, I've been enjoying it so far. We've seen uh, four out of the, I believe, planned eight episodes for this season. Are they all on now? Like you have to... No, they do. What did they do? I think they dropped the first three yeah. last mm. Friday, and then they, they had one today on friday so we're up to four so they did kind of the i think the boys on amazon did a similar kind of thing yeah. exactly right yeah oh she was just the mother and king of uh king of monsters that's where i saw her oh the godzilla yeah. movie yeah yeah Vera Flamingo with um millie bobby brown as her daughter mm-hmm. uh, that's where i knew her from yeah, sorry Jaime. um yeah no no worries i i think um i think it's worth watching if you liked uh shadow and bone on uh netflix which we've we've talked about before as a, as a watch item 
Um, it is, mm, it's slightly less young adulty uh, than Shadow and Bone, which I think leans a little bit more uh, teen and tween area, but it's not quite as, um, it's not quite as solidly adult like Game of Thrones, even though the first episode does throw some nudity there. So be aware, there is some, some pretty heavy violence too. Uh, so it's definitely not kid friendly and it's not quite as epically biblical like lord of the rings so if you mm. go into it with that kind of mindset of like it's it's closer to to shadow and bone uh, probably the the sort of shannara kind of series i think you'll you'll have a good idea i am curious given that there are only eight episodes in this season and as you said at the top of the show there are 14 volumes plus one prequel <laughs> i have no idea if this is going to be a 14 season series if it is uh you know they're going to condense some of it i've never read the book so i have no idea how far along we are so far in the first four episodes and um either way it it seems like an interesting plot kind of a a fun little uh, way to spend your time what did uh, what was your take on I, i watched the first episode but i haven't gone past that yet what was your take on sort of the characters did you find yourself investing in them i found it a little bit a little bit sort of i felt like a little bit detached it didn't i didn't feel invested in the characters after one episode i think that's fair because it doesn't feel like it's character driven it feels like it's more plot driven mm-hmm. right like like the characters yeah, kind of exist solely for the plot versus like i'm really ingrained in what this person's personality is that's more like their like archetypes yeah uh that i'm i'm, I'm taking out of it so that that is true it is, is definitely more about the plot of the 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 wheel of time which you know sort of rebirths your soul every once in a while and the dragon reborn which is a a person who gets reborn every once in a while i think once a generation or something and they can either save the world or destroy the world and the what do they call them the dark one i think they sort of generically named uh, uh sauron it's gonna say Sauron, yeah, a big bad person of like I want to kill everyone. Kind of like they try to 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 use the dark, the dragon reborn to to do bad things that you'd expect. And there's a a, a, a Jedi, women Jedi yep. or sorcerers, if you want to call them, the Aes Sedai, who try to prevent that from happening. Right. So it's more about that than it is about the characters that I'm finding. Yeah, the characters seem pretty shallow so far. And it's weird because it it would be like as if the Jedi were searching for the chosen one, but they weren't sure if the chosen one was going to be good or bad or be, you know, Anakin, the great warrior or Darth Vader and decided to start killing them all. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little like you're you're really not sure. Again, as I say, I've only watched the first one. So Jaime will have a better perspective. But I found myself thinking, like, are they the good guys? Are they the bad guys? Like, who am I rooting for here? <laughs> yeah, I think. I think without it being too spoilery, I think the way I understand what's going on here is you have, uh, so the dragon reborn again, they're able to, to use the magic power in such a way that they're way more powerful than everybody else, which means they can, they can thrust the world into peace or they can thrust it into darkness. And the dark one, surprise, surprise, he wants it to be in darkness, right? So that's a pretty easy incentive. The Aya Sedai the the priestess warrior jedi ladies who use magic they seem to have taken the approach of okay it's a 50 50 shot every time this happens right right so we could either all be in utopia or maybe we're all in darkness 
for another generation. Like, let's avoid darkness because whatever your problems are with our current politics, like, we definitely don't want to go back to the dark ages. So they have decided not to play to win, but to play not to lose. Is, yeah. It seems to be their incentive. So it, it it is kind of more gray and like, they're not really good people, but you can understand the reason that they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I should uh, not leave off here without mentioning that in somewhere in the wheel of time cycle, the dark one corrupted the, uh, the magic so that uh, it used to be that men and women could use it without any issues. It was corrupted in such a way, I think, using the Dragon Reborn at some point, such that men could no longer use it without going crazy. Yeah. So all the Aya Sedai magic users and etc. are all women, and they get very suspicious when a man shows the ability to, to use the power because they expect him to go crazy. And over the past four episodes, we have seen some crazy people, so... Uh, yeah and we, we get a taste of that in the in the first episode like right off the hop we see somebody who is having visions and stuff like that so we 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 get that that that's clearly uh on the table but then as you say they're they're sort of in that gray area where they're like well if there's a chance they're gonna go crazy we may as well just kill them anyways right right, <laughs> right. yeah sounds sounds plausible sounds safe yes you, you missed the mayor of kingstown I wanted to try rolling it into something else, uh, so oh, yeah. I, I kind of winged it on that one. But yeah, so I've gotten two, maybe three episodes into Mayor of Kingstown. This is on Paramount Plus. So I don't know what that means for you all. I don't know where this shows. This turned uh, so for context, it is uh, Thanksgiving or Yanksgiving here in America, um, and so this holiday weekend has turned into the jeremy renner show as i watched two episodes of hawkeye and three episodes of mayor of kingstown which also stars jeremy renner as he and his brother are they're not really truly criminals they're they're fix-it guys right so they're 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 gray um you know sleazy guys who help the the gangs in this prison system sort of continue to operate and but like also try to keep the crypts and the bloods from like killing everybody and mutilating each other right so they they try to keep the peace by brokering drugs and other bad things they're kind of more of like the walter white kind of area of like i do this for money i don't really do it because i i truly believe in crime i don't truly believe in like any of this stuff i just I just want to live my life and and enjoy uh having something that's sort of like a job um it is uh it's it's pretty dark, so uh, definitely not kid-friendly. They do throw the uh, the nudity and violence right there in the first episode, so bear that in mind. It's pretty interesting to see Jeremy Renner play this kind of character, especially immediately contrasted with his very uh, heroic Hawkeye character. Yeah, I just looked it up, and it, it says Paramount Plus is the only place it's available, and you can subscribe to Paramount Plus here in Canada, so I suppose that is that is your option. Yeah, I feel like it's probably not a must-see, even though I have enjoyed it so far. You probably should wait until you're inevitably forced to use Paramount Plus for something like Disco <laughs> or something, and then just go ahead and catch up on binging it. So I stumbled across, I was watching Disney Channel today, and I and um, actually my Apple TV, actually, I guess, uh, it has the sort of what's up next uh, feature on the, on the home screen. And um, when I just finished watching... Uh, episode one of the Beatles extravaganza, Get Back. 
um, I saw that there was a new episode of The Solar Opposites. I'm like, I wasn't expecting a new season of The Solar Opposites. So imagine my surprise when it turned out to be The Solar Opposites Holiday Special. Mm-hmm. And if you can imagine any any and all of the, the um, Christmas movie tropes that you could use in a... Imagine, you know, the, the Solar Opposites is the same folks that bring us uh, Rick and Morty. So they're, you know... And Lord X. And Lord X. So lots of F-bombs, lots, lots of irreverence. Irreverence. Um, they are... Um, uh, it's basically a family of aliens living on Earth. Uh, and they have a... They, there's, they're, they're, it's a, a couple of aliens. They don't really have sexes, although there's, there's a female... That one of the children is certain, leans towards female. Oh, uh, a, and there's a pupa. A and the pupa sort of... Huh? She has a bow like Lisa Simpson. That's about as close as it yeah, gets. Yeah. So and she, and very female type voice and and sensibilities right. and things. But um, so they they're just totally in love with the whole Christmas season thing. They're all in. They're, you know they're they're drinking um, uh, hot chocolate that comes out of a, a, a little uh, Santa Santa's butt. You know. <laughs> um, and you know they're they're all into giving presents and all that kind of stuff, and they decide that you know they're going to have a big fun festival thing. Of course, the pupa is totally not into into the Christmas thing. He's being a real real jerk, so they send him away. He goes off and has a a sort of second story, uh, which comes around in the end. But the um, they decide that you know among all the fun that they're going to have, they're going to decide they're going to watch a. Um, holiday you know video and they choose jingle all the way <laughs> as the as the one they're going to watch and uh, of course they get into it and they realize the only character that they can play in the thing is they have to play the father so all four of them are arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> right and uh they find it they, they realize it's a pretty lame movie and it's not it's not very christmasy sort of thing and it's got you know very sort of commercial because you got to get this this character um and um so they they uh, they decide to bail on the movie, and then of course you know then then their whole Christmas spirit goes down to like zero, and they have a way of measuring their their Christmas spirit. They scan their their bodies, and so they have to go back and redeem themselves. And and uh, so they and they they drop all these things. So they try all these different movies. Like there's one point where they're in the you know it's a wonderful life, and um, so they go back to the the um, they have to go and finish the movie, the jingle all the way, and they go back into the into the movie. And and I'm not giving tons away. I'm just giving a, the, sort of the major plot point away. Um, they go back in, and the whole it, it, they come when they arrive. It's 80 years in the future, of course. You know, and of course, a typical trope: the kid never got the the present, so now he's taken over the world. He's become he's made himself like the mayor, chief, whatever of the whole society. The Sinbad character, the postal delivery Sinbad character, turns into a, a like a zombies. So there's a whole you know zombie postal characters there and it's very sort of like you know walking dead survive you know survive it at all costs kind of thing um that people have come to become and so they're trying to redeem themselves by finding this this character for for the um for the sun but the sun is is now and then so so the picture of they show the picture of the the sun on on the cover of like a time magazine and he looks a lot like a former president of the united states 
okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but but and you know, there's one part where the 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 people that are helping them, they they realize they're they're actually imprisoned by them, and they're going to eat them now because you know they basically have got these aliens are going to cook them up and eat them, right? Uh, you know, because they, they, with the zombies and and the whole world becomes dystopia. You know, they 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 don't have any food, so they're going to eat those zombies. But of course, the daughter had had uh, uh, kept. Um, Jimmy Stewart's gun from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> <laughs> and so she shoots, she ends up saving the day. And then, and then the older, the parent uh, takes the gun away from her and he says, you'll put your eye out. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so all the, like any, any sort of Christmassy sort of like thing you can imagine in, in this thing. It's, it's, it's like a hundred Easter eggs of, of just Christmas humor gone completely wrong. Like, you know. Um, yeah, so I definitely highly, highly recommend this. It's a great show. I love the show as it is, but I mean, this Christmas version, it, it's like they've gone over the top with Christmas on, on this, this particular episode. So I highly recommend. So if you watch, no, if you don't watch any solar opera, watch this one, right? For sure. Nice. Anyway. I, uh, as an aside here, I did sign up for one of those Black Friday deals for Hulu 12 months for. Oh, it's on Hulu. Yeah. A dollar. Right. And this is a solar opposite. This is one of those shows I'd kind of forgotten about because I have notably not had Hulu. Um, but since this is, you know, a dollar a month, I'm like, oh, this is a cheaper way to see the Orville in uh, in March when that starts than it would be mm. if I just signed up for the regular price of, of Hulu. And uh, this is one of the things I just went ahead and added it to the backlog of things on the My Stuff, I think they call it, on Hulu, so... Yeah, there's two there's two series two seasons to watch plus this this Christmas special. So nice. I mean, you're not gonna nice. you're not gonna lose anything if you just watch the Christmas but Christmas special first. Yeah, I mean, the boys the and I have been watching like chipping away at it. I think we have three or four episodes. Five. I'm watching it at different times with different sons. Uh, so Foster and I think have three episodes left to go in season two, and I think Xavier still has all of season two and maybe two episodes or three episodes of season one still to finish. So I am uh, in that typical uh, uh, familial dynamic of waiting around for other people so you can watch the thing you want to watch. Yes. And we got distracted too because uh, Big Mouth came out and Xavier and I both love Big Mouth. We watched Big Mouth together. So yeah, it's Solar's has been sort of sitting there for a while. Uh, it would take us all of an hour to finish it, but yeah, it's just sort of sitting there. That's a great show. I love it. It's super funny. It is. And especially for our audience, if you like Lord X and you like Rick and Morty, it's right there. All right. So over to you, John. Yeah, a few things. So I did watch the first episode of Blade Runner Black Lotus. It's good. The world feels kind of true to the vision of the films, but the animation style feels like a 1996 video game. It's a little bit, it's, it, it's funny because the backgrounds look so vivid and there are times when like the animation looks really good and then it'll sort of seem a little stiff when they're moving. It It's not CGI. It's not quite anime. It's kind of a little of both and i i guess just because both of the the previous iterations of of blade runner blade runner blade runner 2049 are very dark and very adult i think that's what i was expecting and i guess it is but it did have sort of a it seemed like it was catered towards a younger audience so i i'm gonna stick with it i'm gonna watch the next few episodes and sort of see what i think because i love that world and and you know i'm interested but it was a little disappointing from a visual standpoint i'll say to start hmm. but i will report back because 
uh, yeah, Blade Runner is such a cool property. And I think it's fun that they decided to go down this path with it, but I can't say that I love the look of it quite yet. Uh, next up, Lost in Space Season 3 is coming on December 1st, which is next week for us. And uh, thanks to Tim, I am I'm way in on this series. I really enjoyed the first two seasons. Uh, I came to it a little bit late. Tim had watched it and recommended it. And if you've been listening to all 100-plus episodes of SpotCast, you'll have heard Tim talk about it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to see how they wrap this up. This is the third and final season, which... I think seems and like enough, you know, like there's only so much you can do with the we're, you know, we're stranded somewhere. We have to figure out a way off this kind of thing. I feel like three seasons is going to be a nice way to wrap this up. I don't think they needed to beat this into the ground and do six seasons in a movie. I think I think this is going to be a good way to sort of end strong. So I'm definitely keen to see how they how they how they land it and whether or not they stick the landing on this one. Yeah, it's an interesting interesting TV show. I mean, it's it's very much in the sort of style of the late 60s, early 70s TV shows in that. I mean, it even started in black and white the first mm. season, right? But um it uh it kind of could have been like Gilligan's Island in a sense, you know, like mm. uh because it was around the same time, right? And um but I mean, they did freshen it up by moving to um like being able to get the ship fixed and move from one pl- to move to different planets. So there's some episodes when they're they're out in space and they run into you know derelict space stations and stuff like that. Um, and they run into a lot of um, there's a lot of aliens like robots and things like that that land on the planet and uh, where they're inhabited. So there's it, it they did freshen it up when it was a TV show, but I mean it is very like. Uh, the Doctor Smith character in this uh, iteration, uh, the character is great. I love, I love the person who plays the role. Parker Posey, yeah, Parker Posey's the great, the best, yeah. Yeah, they've taken the. It's, it's not. I mean, um, like, like I said before about the TV show, it started out being about the family Robinson and this robot, right? Mm. And and Doctor Smith, who was like the, he was a saboteur who ended up being cast away on the ship with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Which is kind of sort of what they do with Parker Posey in this one, but the um, the it, it very quickly became the people uh, people and the writers were more interested in the boy, the robot, and Doctor Smith, mm-hmm. right? And the other people became, you know, supporting characters. And and you know, if you know, young Sheldon is an example where you know you know you're there to watch the kids, right? Mm-hmm. And the parents have the parents have plots, but they're not quite you know they're like B plots, right? And I think that. They didn't even have B plots, like you know. So they had some really top name actors playing these the parents, and they ended up not being <laughs> anything, right? Other, I'm get getting fat paychecks, I guess, for the time, right? But uh, yeah, and then so the 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 movie that they made in you know the uh, late '90s um, was was kind of weird, and they had that sort of thing with the you know the the, the bitter son, the Bill Mooney character became the bitter son, and. You know the the the, the um, protagonist in the story, right? Mm-hmm. And um, or antagonist, I guess antagonist, right? Antagonist, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. So so this is, I like this one because it's sort of a different different take on the same sort of twist plant. You know the the, the abandoned ships, and in this case, they're not the only families out there. So that's kind of a different different take on it too. So it's got a, it's a bit like Battlestar Galactica in a sense in that way, but yeah, and it has it has a bit of that vibe, and just the whole it it. 
ties to a whole bunch of sci-fi tropes with the whole idea that you know earth is becoming un- uninhabitable after years of damage and they have to go and colonize other places and it's a risky mission and yeah it is it's, it's a really complex and well and a well-told story it's 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 been quite an enjoyable ride uh, and good characters again even for for a show that's had you know three or four of the main cast be young actors they've all been really quite quite engaging and interesting and and nuanced and yeah it's 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 a good ride i highly recommend so december 1st netflix go get it cool and last but not least i don't know if you gentlemen saw the trailer for this there's a movie that is on hbo max called eight bit christmas have you guys seen this trailer heard of it but not uh not seen it yeah, so I, I put the the uh, link to the YouTube trailer on uh, in our show notes. It stars uh, Neil Patrick Harris as a person recapping an adventure from his boyhood in the 1980s, wherein all he wants for Christmas is a Nintendo Entertainment System, and his parents refuse to get one. So it's about this group of kids and the lengths that they're willing to go to to, to get their hands on a Nintendo for Christmas. And if you watch the trailer, it looks like the second coming of A Christmas Story. It's about this group of kids and the sort of weird stuff that happens in their neighborhood and just these like strange adventures that they have in their daily lives. And that, you know, and and instead of wanting the, you know, the, the Red Rider BB gun, he wants the Nintendo Entertainment System. And it really... As soon as I saw the trailer, I just saw it yesterday. As soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, this is this is this is like a modern Christmas story. And it's narrated by Neil Patrick Harris, sort of telling it to his daughter as the framing as framing device, not unlike the sort of the narration that happens in in a Christmas story. So it looks funny and it looks really, uh, really cute. And I think identifiable for those of us who happen to have been children in the 1980s. And uh, yeah, so I get I just caught this trailer yesterday. One of my uh, one of my friends on social posted it i was like oh yeah i'm totally gonna make the time for this this looks like a fun fun christmas watch so yeah where's it gonna be hbo max and i believe it's in crave here in canada cool all right well i guess that's it for another week so hey jonathan people are in touch with you where they find you you can always find me on twitter and instagram as at jpk news and hi if people want to get touch with you i'm on twitter as at dev with the hair all right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machines where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Birthday, my dog drink too. Yeah. Yeah, so that makes Yeah.
How old is Pollo? Let me do the math. He is eight. So we think he was wow. born. In, we think he was born in 2013 because he was around two, according to the uh, vet when we got him. Oh, was he a rescue or? Yeah. So he was uh, surrendered to a uh, a rescue along with a whole bunch of other uh, Chihuahua puppies of uh, some around his age, some, you know, less than a year old, probably. So it's it's hard to tell exactly. I mean, he's like the, uh, uh, the 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 kids that show up in Little League every once in a while, like <laughs> from mysterious <laughs> circumstances. And we're like, they seem a little big for twelve, and like, oh, sure enough, well, that kid's 12. got a lot of facial hair for twelve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. How was your Thanksgiving, uh, Jaime? Good. We just uh, spent it here, just uh, the two of us, social distancing and, and etc. From no, each other, no. that's a little harsh. <laughs> Six feet apart, and the, uh, the <laughs> you uh, stand your side of the table. The the Batman nineteen eighty nine style I, dinner table. I was going to say that. That's perfect. <laughs> Good, great pull. Um, and and you know, can you pass to... the salt? Sorry, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so we just had uh, you know the the. All the fixins that you normally have for, I don't know if they differ for Canadian, uh, for Canucks giving or Yanks giving, you know, you've got turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie and stuff. So we had, we had all of that. Yeah. Those are all staples in this family. Although <laughs> given our, our multicultural family, we also mix in uh, Mulligatani and uh, Sri Lankan stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, it's become quite a, uh, an eclectic meal for us, which is, I think, part of the best part of being Canadian, just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, everything comes to the table and we're like, awesome. Yeah. But we don't get ambrosia salad though. No, no ambrosia salad. No, uh, no. Um, what's the one that uh, Americans do with the marshmallows on top? Is That's it, ambrosia. Is that the ambrosia one? Yeah. 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 I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Why? Why marshmallows on it's top? It's basically dessert. Is it? Yeah, it's like uh, somebody was describing the other day. It's like Jello and marshmallows, and I don't know. Do you know what oh, I'm talking about, Jaime? I had to look it up once you described the marshmallow. Yes, so this is not traditional in my family. I want to say this is a southern thing, but granted, not a Texas thing, which is more a Southwest. Maybe. Um, I, yeah, there you go. Ambrosia is an American variety of fruit salad originating in the southern United States. Um, it it's something I tend to see at um, you know, like buffets or. Other mm. kind of, you know, like a Luby's would probably have this sort of thing, you know, like a, a cafeteria that has a variety of things. It's not something I associate with Thanksgiving, but, um, you know, I'd mentioned pumpkin pie. There are alternatives like, uh, I think, sweet potato pie in other parts of the country and uh, pecan or pecan pie, if you prefer. Over oh, pumpkin. I love pecan pie. You you posted the pumpkin pie with the with the car, with the smoke coming out the tires. Yes. You, yeah, it, it was not mine, but that was something I saw on the internet that had the uh, the little Hot Wheels car, that yeah. had, like as if it was drifting, and then the 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 Cool Whip or or <laughs> other things coming out the 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 side, like the the smoke, which was great. Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole pie wasn't covered with with cream. It's just like this, like it was like as if the the car had just you know done a donut, and mm-hmm. and the smoke was just rimming around the outside. There, it looked pretty cool. The kind of thing that Xavier would have had for his pumpkin pie back when he was a kid. Yeah. Or or now. Yeah, or now. <laughs> well, with ketchup, yes. Oh, God. He's actually <laughs> weaned himself off of ketchup uh, a fair bit. It's, it's really, really kind well, of surreal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did either of you guys watch or watch any of the Beatles stuff? 
Not yet. No, it's I haven't gotten a chance. No. It's long. Did they release all three parts, or are they going to tease it out week by week? I I think they're doing one a day. Like so, it started yesterday. I started watching it before I headed down to Genesis, and and it and it was I watched like an hour, and it was like long. I mean, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Don't get me wrong, but and it was like long. <laughs> And I only watched like an. I only managed to get like forty five minutes of it of it in there, and I'm like, this is long. And then I finished watching the first the uh, episode one today tonight, right? And it's still long. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it says it's two two hours and thirty six for the first part, two hours and fifty three for the second part, and yeah, it's a three part documentary. So yeah, I mean yeah. that's a lot. Huh. I heard it's almost nine hours, but yeah, it's it's amazing because you know, like as you know, I've I told you before, I, I have the um, Let It Be. Didn't they issue it to you if you lived in the suburbs? No, no, I had to bootleg it off of Napster. Oh. Um, I don't think it's ever been put out on any digital form. Well, it must have been on Laserdisc, I guess. Because right? what I have is probably a bootleg from Laserdisc. It's not, it's not like, it's like SD quality. It's not, you know, mm. um, high def. Yeah. And it's it's quite a different, it tells quite a different story. It's obviously the same time period because that was the same movie that was being made at the same time, right? So. Um, Stephen Sondheim just, died. Just, yeah, just, yeah, 91, 92? 91, it says, yeah. Yeah, he just died today. Mm-hmm. West Side Story. Today, I should say. Hmm? West Side Story. Yeah. And didn't he just do, redo it, or did just, they just redid it or something? They just redid the theatrical version, yeah. Right. Okay. I think Spielberg. Uh, he wrote those, Spielberg? He wrote those songs? Yeah. Hmm. La 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 in America. Kind of writes itself when you step back and look at it, doesn't it? La 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 in America? Yeah. That's okay. a lyric from from one of the yeah. songs. Hmm. Okay, that's the one that the Puerto Rican clan sings, right? Yes. We're gonna go with yes. Okay. Well, here's the tricky part because I'm gonna be away in the third, fourth week of December, just before Christmas, too. So. Yeah. Uh, so this. I mean, I'll, I'll probably be able to record, but I'll be like really cold. Oh, you're going up north, right? Yeah, we're going to Northwest Territories. Mm, very cool. Which isn't even a province, I mean, it's like so far north. Yeah. There's un-incorporated uh, is the wrong word, unprovinced areas. Yeah, yeah we, we have a mix of provinces <laughs> and territories here in Canada. So the provinces yeah. are are sort of more populated and the territories are a little more sparse. So they run parallel to where Alaska would be. So Yukon, Northwest Territories, and Nunavut. Yeah. Oh yeah, Nunavut's a third now, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. we used to have we used to have, what eight provinces and two territories, so ten mm-hmm. altogether. Now Nunavut's a th- another one. Mm-hmm. They broke. Did they did they split Yukon and Northwest Territories in, to make Nunavut, or did they take it out of Northwest Territories? It came out of Northwest Territories. And is it on the Hudson Bay side, Nunavut? Um, no, it's on. Well, yeah, it is. Yes, yeah, sorry, I'm not sure what you were asking there. Yeah, it's so Quebec is on the one side of Hudson's Bay and. Nunavut is on the other side, yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nunavut encapsulates most of, many of the islands that are that are the northern part of Canada, Baffin Island yeah. and all that stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Yep. Coolio. We actually have a really good uh, interview in our next uh, Kaiha podcast with a doctor from Yukon talking about, she was the only pediatrician in the entire territory for a while, talking wow. about her experiences of, of being the the only pediatrician in an entire geographic region for thousands of kilometers. It's very interesting. Wow. Yeah. She, she, she was describing how she had, uh, during one month, she had one day off. And during that one day off, she had to medevac a small child from, from Whitehorse to 
Vancouver to save her life. Very good story. Really worth tuning in for. That's the chip. Find it where you give her, you get your podcasts. Where you get your fine podcasts. Yep. Wherever fine podcasts are sold. That's right. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. All right, gents. Talk to you next yep. week. Talk to you later. Okay. Right. Bye. 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 Bye.